Uh, we haven't been in John for a few weeks um, because of the holidays and everything. But uh, just a little bit of review. Uh, Jesus has fed the 5,000. And their response to him feeding the 5,000 was they wanted to forcibly make him their king. And Jesus did not come at this time to reign over the world. He came to die for our sins. Uh, so Jesus has left. And if you look at verse 30 and 31, they find him and they said to him, What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they are obsessed with getting food. It's, it's not much different from how we look at politics today. When they saw Jesus, they saw a man who was able to feed them with just a few loaves of bread and some fish and also able to heal them. And so many of our politicians, they, they run on this true or not true idea that if you vote for that guy you'll starve if you vote for me i'm going to feed you i'm going to pay for your college i'm going to pay for your, all your medicals and and it won't take any money out of your pocket i promise but they can never tell you how they're going to pay for it but it doesn't matter as long as you believe it and we as the sheep that go astray we um we want free stuff and so they went to jesus as a man who could lead them he could, with a word, destroy their enemies. He could, with a word, heal their wounds and with a word, feed them. And so Jesus is trying to convince them that they're, they shouldn't look to him for physical blessings, but for spiritual. And we have to, to kind of measure that ourselves with our... If, if our reason for coming to Christ is to have a better life on earth then we might be disappointed because life can take a turn. There are some things in life that don't go so well. You can't control the sinfulness around you. And as with Job, God may have a trial for you to go through for his purpose. But we come to God to have our sins washed away so that we will have that hope of eternity we talked about this morning. So he is trying to convince these people that their priorities are wrong. They're looking for physical bread, and he is the spiritual bread. And so, <clears throat> um, look at verse 41. Then the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. So remember, they asked for this manna that Moses gave them, and Jesus simply tells them, they still died. Even though they received manna, they still died. I can give you physical food. And this is some of the things that we have with the food boxes, with the park, and with Nineveh. We are following the um, commandments of God to feed the poor. And But what's not frustrating about it but it, it is 
I know all of those involved in those ministries, we want to take it to the next step and not just have them fed physically, but how do we reach them spiritually? And Brian's been taking prayer requests and Silas is going out and sharing some words and praying and putting um, those beautiful books that we put in the boxes this year, just trying to to find some way to get to the people spiritually and not just physically. It doesn't mean we eliminate the physical. We're supposed to do that. We want to do that. But we all want to, to see more. And so did Jesus. And so Jesus tells them, you don't want the bread that was physical. You want me. I'm the bread that gives you eternal life. Well, they complain because he called himself the bread from heaven. And they said, verse 42, <clears throat> is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then he says, I have come down from heaven? So they say, well, wait a second. We know this guy. This is Mary's son, Joseph's son. He didn't come down from heaven. What's he talking about? And so a lot of what we do is to know the word of God, to be able to kind of fill in the gaps of man's ignorance. They have seen the miracles he does. They've heard him speak, but they've eliminated him. I was reading the other day in scripture, um, I think it was in the book of uh, Acts, um, where they were having um, a discussion about <clears throat> Jesus being the Messiah, the chosen one. And the argument was that he cannot be because the Messiah is coming from Bethlehem and he is from Galilee. And so they had misinformation. They assumed Jesus was born in Nazareth because that's where his home was. They didn't know the story of Christmas when he went down because of the census and was born in Bethlehem. But they did have scriptures that taught them in Micah 5 2 that he would come from Bethlehem. So a lot of time for us, it's about having those conversations, whether it's the verses that Don sends out through text or whether it's talking to our loved ones or having a conversation with somebody at the table. And we listen to what they know about God, what they think about God. And then we can kind of fill in the gaps, fill in the blanks for them where they're, where they're a little bit uh, off. Um, and these guys were off because they eliminated Jesus because they had a misconception of his birth. Verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. That's a very important verse in Scripture. It's a verse that should be comforting to us. When we're praying for our lost loved ones and we're, we're sharing the gospel, that we know that we have the partnership with the Holy Spirit that draws a person and opens their eyes and opens their hearts. And those people who we would never think would ever come to God, we never know when God might stop them on the road to Damascus, right? Shine the light on them. And look at Paul, and when Ananias says, Are you sure this is the guy you want? And what it was God's answer to Ananias? 
He said, Paul is a what? Chosen vessel of mine to preach to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 9. So even the Apostle Paul, who would be the last person you'd ever think would turn to God, turned to God when it was God's time for him to turn to him. And he sent that light, blinded him, and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goads? Those goads, that word goad is, is what it's that tool used to get an animal to move, a stubborn animal. And if you try to get that stubborn animal to move, he'll kick against it. And so we know from for a fact that the Apostle Paul was kicking against the drawing of the Holy Spirit. But he wasn't going to get away. That should comfort us. Comfort us. I will tell you, the ones who are the most aggressively against you talking to them about God are being goaded. The ones who don't care, either way, they're, they're more worrisome to me than those who are kicking. And so, Jesus looks at them and they're murmuring and he says to them, look, you're never going to get this until the Father draws you. It is written in the prophets and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from me, from the Father, comes to me. Um, it's always a battle. Let's look at verse 46. I was, I was interested. Larry was talking yesterday. We were in prayer meeting. And he was sharing the verse that Jesus said in John 4 that it's white unto harvest. And Larry, you said you did a word study that it was, it was actually light. And that reminded us that, that when someone is ready to accept Christ, there's a light there that goes on through the Holy Spirit. And they're ready for harvest. And, you know, some plant, some water, and, and some reap. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. How is Jesus the bread of life? What does that really mean to be the bread of life? Well, what's physical bread represent? What's that? Feeds you. Sustains you. We die without bread. And we spiritually die without Christ. And he uses his bread as an illustration. Uh, I always uh, put it this way. We, we ha Have you ever... And more men seem to do this than women do this, but that's not a sexist remark. It sounds like it is, but you'll know what I'm talking about when I say it. But um, men will go into a kitchen and look for something to eat, and they'll say to their wives, Honey, there's nothing here to eat. And the wives will say, Yes, there is. <laughs> We've got some apples in the thing. We've got a salad. You can make this. We got this and this. Ah, I'm just not hungry for that. I mean, I, that's not. I thought, and we have this thing where we're looking for that right thing to eat. And that was what Christ was for me, looking for a, a, something that would satisfy my hunger. The Bible says, "Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after what righteousness." 
I was looking for what was right. Is I was in Scientology for a little while. I was looking at this for a little while. I thought about this philosophy for a while. Who's right? What is the truth? And just like you go through the cupboards and finally you see it, I remember this illustration for me is always Cocoa Puffs because I, I remember Liz, we don't have anything to eat. There's plenty of stuff in there to eat. There's an old salad. There's some celery. There's some other things in there. Oh, no, no. I mean, I want something to eat, something that. And then I saw the Cocoa Puffs and I said, yes, that's exactly what I've been looking for, Cocoa Puffs. That's what satisfied my hunger. It was just at the moment, that's what it was. Had a little sweet tooth or something. And for me, spiritually, not until I found Jesus was my spiritual hunger satisfied. Once it was, it, it, it never wavered. I've never in the last 40 years thought about looking anywhere else. I'm, I'm full. I'm fully satisfied. So Jesus says, when he says, I'm the bread of life, that's what he means. He says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. They're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Now follow this pattern of Christ. We're only in John chapter 6. In John chapter 3, he had a long discussion with Nicodemus about what subject? Does anybody remember the subject? You must be born again. And his response was what? How do I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? So Jesus is speaking spiritually and Nicodemus is seeing it physically. Then the very next chapter, he is speaking to the woman of the well about what subject? Living water. She says, give me this water so I don't have to bring this bucket to the well every day. That would be great. I would love that. She was thinking physically. He was speaking spiritually. Now in John chapter 5, he feeds the 5,000. In John chapter 6, or John chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000. And they come to him and they say, well, hey, we want this bread you're talking about. Just give it to us like the manna in heaven. Just feed us every day. That's really what they want, don't they? We want to wake up every day and have food like our fathers did in the wilderness. And Jesus says, no, you got it all wrong. This is the food from heaven that you may eat it, verse 50, and not die. I am the living bread, verse 51, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're just thinking always physically. They can't get their mind into a spiritual mode. And that's our job. That's our purpose is to, to bring people to think about spiritual things, to think about their eternal life, to think about how they got here, and, and to drive a conversation towards that. So Jesus answers them in 53. He says, now, verse 53 through 58 sound harsh, but as I read them, I'll ask you when I'm done what he's talking about. So Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood 
has eternal life, and I'll raise him up in that last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father whose so is he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not that your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Pretty harsh verses about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Now when you read that, what's the first thing you think of? We think of communion. This is the bread. This bread is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This drink is my blood which was shed for you. This do in remembrance of me. However, he has not died yet. So they have no reference point to the bread and to the cup. This is long before the Last Supper. So... We read it and go, oh, yeah, he's talking about his broken body and his shed blood, which he is, absolutely. But they would have no way of knowing it. In fact, not even his disciples and apostles would have a reference point to this. Verse 59 says, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught Capernaum. Then many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? So there's a tremendous lesson here. I really, you can't really blame them for responding this way. Without a reference point to the broken body and shed blood and the crucifixion of Christ, this is something they had never heard before. It's only John chapter 6. We're really early. Now we've had, you know, the water turned to wine. We've had Nicodemus. We've had the woman at the well. And now the feeding of the 5,000. We're just starting. We also had the turning over of the tables. So this is all we've really done so far. And so this is brand new to the apostles and the disciples. And it was a hard saying. How many of you have in your spiritual life got to verses and you went, ooh, that's a hard one. That's a, that's a hard one. I don't know that I quite get that. You have to do a little more study, a little more research and, and to understand it. You know, soft answer turns away wrath, love your enemies, little things like this that are, are difficult, hard sayings. For some people, they become even deal breakers in which they're trying to serve God it's like well I can't follow a God who would say this I can't follow a God who would be so rude to this or send people to hell well it's usually a little bit of a misunderstanding of the verse how it applies to the grace of God or something else I will tell you if you study this book there's some hard things in here there's some hard things in here but they're hard truths that doesn't change them and so the other thing this encourages us is when we read 53 through 58, why are we comforted by it? 
we are comforted by it because we have information they did not have. We have the reference point of the broken body and the shed blood. Go ahead, Larry. I just wanted to uh, remind us that this would almost appear a contradiction because the Old Testament Mosaic law says you shall not eat the flesh with the blood. And it, 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 and it sounds, you're right, it sounds cultic. It sounds like what they were always told not to do. That's a really good point. And so what it helps me to do is when I come across verses, Larry's been doing a really good job going through Revelation. It's a tough book to go through. And there are things in there that we think we might understand, but we don't really have a reference point to them. I remember, I'll give you an illustration of this, and this is take it or leave it as it is. But I went to Bible college in the early 80s. I was married in 1981, so I think I started going to Bible college in 1982 or 83. And uh, I took a course in Revelation. And I remember specifically having a conversation about the two witnesses in Revelation. The two witnesses are killed in the book of Revelation. And then they raise from the dead. And the Bible says the whole world was watching them. And celebrating as they lay dead in the, in the street. And that the world rejoiced. And then the world saw them raised from the dead. And I remember back in 1982 and 83 having a conversation about how, how, do you, how's, how does the whole Mr. Whitfield, he was my teacher, somebody asked, how does the whole world see them? Well, it could be. It's God's miracle. I'm sure that maybe they would look into the heavens and maybe they would. And, and now we're in 2020. And if I asked a, a seventh grader, how would the whole world see them? What would the answer be? Just take your phone out and you'd see it. So when we're looking at things in scripture, especially prophetic things, we don't have reference points. Don't let it confuse you. Don't let it turn. And, and don't be swayed. And Larry does a really good job of, of staying on point. And, and um, because there are some things. By the way, if you want to write a book about what these all mean, you can make a little money. People love that stuff. They really do. Um, I always go back to Isaiah 53 where it says... That we, by his stripes, we'll be healed. I'm sure there was no reference. We read Isaiah 53 and we read, by his stripes, you're healed. And what's the first thing you think of? Crucifixion. The stripes on his back. The shed blood. They would have no reference point to that. So the idea of taking scripture is even if it's a hard saying or something you don't get... Understand it's you, not God. All right? You just aren't... We don't have the information needed to understand every bit, but God reveals it to us as it goes. I imagine we'll be in heaven someday going, Oh, okay, now, now. Boy, I was way off on that. I really thought I had that. It's not. Okay, I thought there was a tribulation force and a bunch of people that went and fought for... Okay, now... That, I thought that was a, 
helicopter. <laughs> so, so, all right, so uh, good. So they say it's a hard saying. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained, he said to them, does this offend you? The world's going to get offended. It's going to get offended. You know, we talked this morning, and, and if we were in the crowd, a different crowd than we were in this morning, that message today could have been very offensive to somebody. It doesn't change it for me in truth. Just the world gets offended. In 2020, they get very offended very easily. Um, and they're even making laws. There, There is a law going through California about the making it um, requirement for um, pastors to turn their sermons in to make sure there's not hate speech within them. Um, it's dangerous times that we live in because people are easily offended. And Jesus was not affected by the offense of other people. The truth is the truth. Remember what he says, that Jesus didn't come to bring together, but he came, what's it do? His, his gospel divides families. Um, verse 62, their response to that was, What then, if you should see the Son of God ascend where he was before? It's the spirit that gives life to the flesh. The, the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Don't be offended. I'm not talking to you about eating my actual flesh. This is a spiritual lesson. It's the spirit. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who, who they were who did not believe him and who would betray him. Speaking of Judas. Um, people are going to be offended and they're going to leave. And how Jesus responded that is this. Therefore, I have said to you, verse 65, no one can come to me unless it's been granted him by my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. This is a really, really important verse. Um, Jesus would have been a very poor church builder. He just let people walk away. We have to understand that the Bible says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. John 10 says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. As you preach the truth, those who are not the sheep, those who love darkness... They will not respond to the word until the Holy Spirit does that work in them. Our job is to preach, preach, preach the truth in love. And then let the Holy Spirit do the work of the drawing and the opening of the eyes, the opening up of the hearts of people. But we just keep praying and preaching, preaching and praying. And if they get offended and they leave, Jesus did not chase them down. Now, Jesus has an advantage over us, and he knows, right, those who are going to come. I'm not saying that we just don't call them and say, hey, is there anything I need to come back? And, you know, so well, I don't like what you preach. I didn't think it was right. And, but, but Jesus isn't, 
he's not interested in having 5,000 people stay there and listen to him without truly believing in him. He doesn't want to give them some kind of false security that they're okay in order to say, I've got 5,000 people in my church. We have to have the courage to preach the gospel. And if it offends people, then it, it, it will offend people. But faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have to preach the gospel. Because we might have 5,000 leave, but you might have five stay. Do you see? And we don't want the five to get lost in the shuffle. And so Jesus was very, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He knew that was going to offend them. He knew they were going to walk away. He has taught us all through scripture that it's not a game. It is about winning people to Christ. And you have to continue to preach the truth even when people don't want to hear it really. But that's the only thing that's going to save their souls. The only thing that's going to turn their life around is the gospel. So Jesus turns to the twelve and he says, Do you also want to go away? It's kind of a big test for them, wasn't it? This is Jesus' first dealing with crowds of people that have come. And he knew in these thousands of people that they were only following him for the physical food. Human beings don't care why you're following them. We want you just to follow us. And we want to sell more books and build a bigger church. Jesus is interested in you becoming a believer and you going to heaven. That's his end game, not building a church. So he turns to the 12 and he says, look at do you want to go away also? Because this is what it's all about. Now remember, they also don't really know what he really means by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So are they going to stay with him no matter what he says? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Man, that Peter. He nails it. He can be way off base sometimes, but when he is focused, that guy, this is a great statement, isn't it? If you leave Christ, I'm not talking about leaving our church. You can go, they can leave our church and go to a different church. But those who, well, I used to believe in God, I don't believe in God anymore. Well, where else are you going to go? There's literally nowhere else to go. He is the way the truth and the life and no one can come to the father except through him so there's no other answer there's no other place to go except christ and peter gets that and he says all right you 12 what about you you gonna leave also i think they're still confused by what he's talking about right now but his response is there's nowhere else to go you're it we're here for the for for the long haul also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him and said, Did I not choose you twelve, and one of you was a devil? <laughs> I'm sure they're looking around now. 
He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Turn, if you will, to Proverbs 16. We'll close with these verses. Um, We are looking through a glass darkly. God is never surprised about those who turn away from him and about those who follow him. He's never fooled by phony Christianity. He's never blinded by our uh, Christianity that is not real. And, and Proverbs 16, verse 4, says, The Lord has made all for himself, even the wicked for the day of doom. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, no will go no, none will go unpunished. So even Judas is created for God's purpose. He came to die. In order for Scripture to be fulfilled according to the Old Testament, uh, there was going to be a friend that would betray him. And so Judas is created for this purpose. And we are created for a purpose, not a wicked purpose. But even the evil around them, God is never out of control. He knows everything. And so our response is to be like Peter. Yeah, I don't like that verse. It bothers me. I don't know if I can do it. I struggle with it. But God, where else am I going to go? I'm not going anywhere. And, and I, I, I don't think I've ever been tempted to go anywhere else. And that's not a prideful thing. I, I, I just, I, there's nowhere else to go for me. I just know this is the truth. Things I struggle with, some verses I don't quite understand. They're hard sayings to me. Um, and uh, there are some things that I thought about God early in my Christian walk that I've learned were not true. I just had a, some verses wrong and some other things. And, and I and I'm, I think I've got it better than I did. I don't think I've certainly got all of it. But what I do know is Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. He is the Son of the Living God. And no matter how hard it gets, I'm, I want to stick with it. If it'll have, if it'll have me. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for your Word. Some of the things are just so much a blessing, such a comfort, and then some of the things are hard. And, Lord, help us to preach the entire counsel of God in love and lead us to those who you are working with in Jesus' name.